Revelations chapter 13, please. And this will be verse number 16. And I want to continue that what I started weeks ago. This is lesson number 6 on a series of sermons entitled, In the Last Days. Last Sunday, I spoke to you about the rapture. This Sunday, I'm going to speak to you about what happens after the rapture on the earth by way of the one world ruler that will become known as the Antichrist. And this chapter speaks of him in verse 16 and following. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. This is the Antichrist. The beast is another name for the Antichrist. Let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Would you pray for me this morning? I want to pray for you so that our time together will be meaningful. Reach your hands this way and would you just give a prayer on my behalf? I would gladly appreciate it and it would help me. And I'll pray for you. Father, thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you for the worshipers, for what looks like a church full of people in this third service and the other service blessed than the one before. God, this is our moment and our time with you. And I pray for the anointing of God to flow like a river in this place. And we all get in the river. I pray you'd give me uh, strength and unction and remembrance and inspiration. But I'm not here to be an entertainer. And I'm not here to try to impress the people with the flesh. I want to be flowing in the spirit and the direction of the Lord. Give us ears to hear, a mind to understand. God, let the word of God be like the Bible said it is, sharper than a two-edged sword. Let it cut off everything from our life that are wrong and not good and deadly. And let the word of God also be a healing salve, a balm, oil that heals our hearts and wounds that the devil may have given. Lord, I pray for miracles of salvation and miracles of transformation. Every age group, touch us today. Through the power of your word. And if you believe, say amen. amen. And you do, and you may be seated. Thank you very much. I want to give you a little bit of an introduction by way of this graph or timeline that is pictured on the screen. I used this last week as I spoke about the rapture. Okay? And I want to use it again by way of introduction to tell you that... On May 31st, 2009, obviously it's today's date, you and I in God's timeline of events in the world and leading to the return of His Son, you and I exist now in what is known as the church age, the age of the church. Perhaps you could look on the screen and see beginning obviously at the left side where it says the first coming of Christ. Well, we know the first coming of Christ took place as Jesus born as a baby in Bethlehem manger. We know that he lived for 33 and a half years. And the last three and a half years of his life was more visible and public by way of its ministry. We know at the climax of 33 and a half years, he was falsely accused, misunderstood, misrepresented, falsely tried. And rejected by the very ones he came to save and crucified a horrendous Crucifixion outside Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. We know at his first coming he was buried and for three days he was absent. But on the third day he arose from the dead. 
We know that for 40 days after that time, he made appearances all over that part of the known world, more particularly in Asia Minor, confirming the message that he preached before his resurrection. And we know at that time he told his disciples, I am going to go away and I will go and prepare a place for you. And where I am, he said, I will come back for you also. Where I am, there you shall be also. I go to prepare a place. And if I go away, I will come again. And where I am, there you'll be also. But I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour exactly. But I'm going to tell you events and signs and other things that will let you know it's near. He says, before you go out to preach, he told his disciples, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So I want you to go to Jerusalem, he told them, after I'm gone. And I want you to wait there. And they waited for 10 days. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so, after 40 days after his resurrection, outside of Jerusalem on the mount called the Mount of Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he and some of his disciples were there and he was translated. He ascended into the clouds and into heaven like he said he would go. And the angels who were witnessing that also with his disciples said, Why are you disciples looking up in the sky hopelessly and helplessly thinking this is it? And I'm paraphrasing that. But this part I'm not paraphrasing. He said, the angels to the disciples looking at his ascension. The same Jesus you saw go away will come back again in like manner as you saw him go away. Amen. How many know he's coming again? Yeah. And ten days after his ascension, the Holy Spirit showed up where Jesus said he would. As they were praying in the upper room. And it showed up, the Bible says, in a mighty rushing wind. It showed up on 120 people with tongues of fire. There were little flames of fire above the heads of the people on that day, indicating the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And everybody in that room who were waiting on the Holy Spirit spoke in another language, another tongue, other tongues that was different from their native language as the Holy Spirit spoke through them. And so that's when the church age began. The church age has been going on, according to our calendar, for 2,009 years. That church age will end at what you see there, the word rapture. Hear me now. No other sign has to take place before the rapture takes place. No other sign. There are some signs that are already in place that must be fulfilled before the second coming of Jesus takes place, which is seven years after the rapture. Follow me. There are two phases to the return of Jesus to the earth. The first is the rapture. It can happen today. It is that time when in 2 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 and 18 I preached about last week, where the Bible says when the Lord will come in the clouds, he won't come back to the earth, he will come in the clouds, and he will snatch away at the sound of a trumpet, the sound of the archangel. Those who died waiting for the Lord to come, but he didn't come, they will come out of the grave first. And then those of us who are alive, if it happened today, the graves will be emptied of believers first. And those of us in this worship, it happened right now, will be caught up along with them to be with the Lord in the air. 
And it's going to happen so fast, the Bible says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. There is no camera that CNN has and Fox News has or ABC or NBC. No camera that has such fast lens to catch the what is called the rapture on film. We will be here for a moment and then we'll be out of here. And I'm going to be in that number. How about you? Yeah. So, what is going to happen if it happened today or whenever it happens? We will be with the Lord for seven years in heaven known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be the Lord getting ready to come back with Him seven years later at what you see on the chart called the second coming of Christ. When the Lord will come back with the armies of heaven, and you and I included, to face the armies of the Antichrist and the forces that oppose God. At the greatest battle the world has ever known, known as the Battle of Armageddon, where the Antichrist and his forces will try to obliterate the people of God, Israel in particular, and they will hem the Israelites in in the valley of Megiddo in the Middle East, and they will think this is the end of Israel, and then Jesus will show up and say, enough is enough. And you and I will, the Lord will prove himself Lord, where Philippians says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And he will usher in what you see here, the word millennium. It means 1,000 years. The devil will be bound for 1,000 years. No more devil. I'd like to be the one to drop kick him in the pit of hell. I know a lot of people are waiting in line to drop kick the devil. But I don't care who it is, if God's in control, it won't take a lot of people. They may just take a little wind to blow him in the bottomless pit. Then we'll have a thousand years of peace as a millennium. But let me back up then. Here is where the concentration of today's lesson is about. It's about this one world ruler that will come on the scene after the rapture. You see, after the rapture, the snatching away of the saints, the world will be chaotic for a season. Because airplanes will have landed to the ground that was in midair and crashed to the ground because the pilot was saved and raptured. Buses and trains will wreck because there were Christians controlling those buses and trains and now raptured. Surgeons and nurses will be emptying uh, hospital uh, surgical rooms because they'll be raptured. Moms and dads will be gone. Pastors and teachers will be gone. People of, uh, people of all kinds of vocation and calling will be gone and the world will be chaotic. And along with that, they'll still have to deal with the economy. Along with that, they'll still have to deal with uh, political unrest in places in the world. Along with that, as the rapture takes place, they'll still have to deal with world terrorism. Anybody hearing me? Uh, along with that, they'll still have to deal with, uh, with all kinds of sins that people, uh, heart and mind, are given to. And the world will be set for a ruler to come on the scene who is charismatic, who is colorful, who is articulate. A world will be set for this one world ruler to come on the scene and begin to offer peace and calm and civility to the world. Now, I grew up in the church all my life. And as a boy, I heard this lesson, the subject of the one world ruler, the Antichrist. And as I grew older and began to study it myself and then began to preach, in my younger days, I didn't, couldn't fathom in my mind how one man could rule the whole world. It's a large world. I couldn't fathom in my mind how one man could be like in Washington, D.C. and rule the world in South Africa. Or how one man could be in South Africa and rule the world in Korea. 
How, how is that possible? I mean, look, look at the limitations of distance and time and geography and communication. But you know where I'm going now? You know that that limitation has ceased to exist because of modern technology. You and I know right now, sitting here today, that if an incident took place in London, England, that was of world-worthy news, that we could get a live feed because of satellites over our head showing us what's going on. You and I already know about the internet, we know about cell phone, we know about fax machines, we know about all the technology and live camera that will put a man, the world is set for one man to be involved because of the economy, because of the transfer of money through the wire process of transfer. The world is already set for one man to rule the world. I am told that missiles are already armed in the world that can leave from one location and be anywhere in the world in within 30 minutes. So I'm saying military capacity is there, financial capacity is there, communication capacity is there, and need is there for one man on the scene who is the right man to become the man of the hour. And that's what's going to happen. Matter of fact, first he's going to come on the scene as a friend of Christians. Because the people who are left behind, many of which will then run to church because they didn't run to church before the rapture. But I told you last week, and I'll tell you again, that if you are not giving your heart to Jesus Christ now, while the Holy Spirit is here, and the anointing is here, and the presence of Jesus is here, you are fooling yourself to think that you can get saved after the rapture. Because the Holy Spirit will have been departed. The Bible says that. And the Bible also says that God will send a strong delusion in the world for those who have rejected the Lord. And, and, and what I'm saying to you is, because of the power of the Antichrist, if you were to get saved during the tribulation period, you would have to give up your life in order to keep your salvation. Because the Antichrist will, will come in as a friend first. But after the first three and a half years of the seven years, he will turn and be a God-hater and a demonized world dictator. Because he will be empowered by Satan. Now, let, let me say this to you. There have been all kinds of speculations over the years as to who will be the Antichrist. Even generations prior to ours have had their world despot. Even generations prior to ours have had world dictators, or not necessarily world dictators, but national dictators, who have been given the title the Antichrist. And so, there have been all kinds of speculation. For example, in my studies, I have come to appreciate... Uh, some of the writings and input of others who have preceded me on these subjects because I learned more by just learning from those who preceded me and even learning now. In the 30s, 1930s and 40s, Adolf Hitler came to world power, more specifically European power. And Adolf Hitler was moving through Europe and swallowing whole nations in such a convincing and overwhelming way until many of those living in the world at that time thought him to be the Antichrist. There was a brochure, pu brochure pamphlet published in 1941. And the title of the brochure is The Beast, which means the Antichrist. And the subtitle read this, The False Prophet and Hitler. And there was a large amount of speculation as to why Hitler could be the Antichrist. And this was 1941 when he was at the height of his power. And so many people thought that he was the Antichrist. In this pamphlet, there was presented the formula for identifying Adolf Hitler as the Antichrist by showing how the letters in the word Hitler could link 
numerically with the number of the beast. The number of the man of sin and his mark will be 666. So people over the years have speculated with numbers and signs and formulas as to who they think the Antichrist is and how they can confirm it. So here's how one person approached it. They said if you take the number 100 and you assign it the first letter of the alphabet, then you'll have A. If you take the number 101 and you assign it the second letter of the alphabet, you'll have the letter B. If you take the number 103 and you assign it the third letter of the alphabet, you'll have the letter C. You follow where I'm going here? And then they said if you take the name Hitler and assign a numerological significance to each letter, here's what you find. H equals 107. I equals 108. T equals 119. L in the word Hitler equals 111. E equals 104. And R, the last letter of the word name Hitler, is 117. Now when you add all these six numbers together, voila, it turns out to be 666. And so many people thought, he is the Antichrist because that's the number of his name. But he wasn't because he's here no more. And though he was a despicable dictator and a man of horrendous immorality and wickedness, he wasn't the Antichrist. And the speculation kind of goes on, you know, because people can take this Bible and they can pull out stuff for there out of context and just about make anybody the Antichrist. And I tried my name out, Alan Matura, and it doesn't come out to 666. Thank God, I'm okay. There was speculation when John F. Kennedy was arising on the platform of politics in America. One of the most beloved presidents of the United States, although he was short term because being assassinated. There was speculation that he would be the Antichrist. And here's the kind of reasoning that some people had. John F. Kennedy went through a death and resurrection, sort of, as a PT boat commander in the South Pacific during World War II. At the Democratic Convention in the year 1956, he received 666 votes. Some people thought, surely. Now, listen. The Bible says about the Antichrist during the time of his reign, he will be assassinated. He will receive a mortal head injury. But he will resurrect after a few days because of the supernatural power of Satan in him. And many people, you know that not long after John F. Kennedy went into the office of the presidency, while in Dallas, Texas, he was shot in the head while in a motorcade, and it was a fatal injury. And there were still those who purport the belief that he was the Antichrist, and many believed that while John F. Kennedy's body lie in state at the rotunda of the Capitol in Washington, D.C., they even believed that he would come out of the casket because he was the Antichrist. But he wasn't. And so, here, here's where I'm headed this morning with my feeble way of trying to explain it, but I hope it makes sense. I want you to understand that God hasn't told us who he's going to be. 
God hasn't told us his name. God hasn't told us specifically his ethnic background or his language. But God has told us there is a man coming to power one day. And you don't want to be under his governance or his control. That man is first going to come in as a friend of Christ and a friend of the church. But in his heart and in his agenda, he's a God hater. And he's going to get his power from demons and from from hell itself. And while I'm not going to tell you exactly when all this is going to happen, I'm going to give you enough signs and warnings and indication. And when you educate yourself, you get ready and you educate your other family members and get them ready. Because as sure as God's word said it's going to happen, I believe it's going to happen because God is a God that cannot lie. Somebody give the Lord a praise in this house. So let me talk about him a little bit with you. In the Bible, he is called by various names. Let me give you a few of them. He is called the prince that shall come. You find that reference in Daniel 9 and 26. He is called a king of fierce countenance. You find that reference in Daniel 8, 23. He's also called a master of intrigue. Again, Daniel 8 and 23. He is called in Daniel eleven twenty one a despicable man. He is also called this worthless shepherd. Zechariah 11 and 16. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3, he is called the man of destruction. He's also referred to as the man of lawlessness. That will be 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9, he's referred to as this evil man. And in Revelations 13 and 3, he is called the beast. And then four times in the first gospel or the first epistle of John, four times, especially in chapters 2, verse 18, 4 and 3, he is called the Antichrist. So he will operate under various references and sometimes certain aliases, but he will be the Antichrist. Here is some of his description. He'll be a charismatic leader. Charming, handsome, striking, articulate, physically fit. The Bible says about him in Daniel chapter 7, three times in that chapter, about his ability to communicate, he will speak pompous words, meaning proud, boastful, commanding. The scripture even tells us in Revelations 13 and 5, He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies because eventually he will be revealed for what he really is. And that's a God hater. And so he'll speak blasphemies. He will, of course, not come on the scene as the Antichrist. After the rapture, we're gone. The next day he won't appear on TV and say, here I am, the Antichrist. You've been waiting for me. No. He will gradually be elevated to the world scene by his charisma and cunning. Sort of like Adolf Hitler did when he gained the affection of the German people. Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, you remember from the Nixon administration, some of you would remember, and Watergate, how he went to prison and in prison, he gave his life to Christ and then came out and started Prison Fellowship. He's wrote a num- written a number of books over the years. One book in particular is called Kingdoms in Conflict. And in that book, he describes how Adolf Hitler ascended to such 
place of charismatic leadership in Germany, and especially at these political rallies that he spoke at throughout Germany. And when he would go to these rallies, the stage would be set. The audience would be prepped. And the whole thing would be set up to the way that he, Adolf Hitler, could mesmerize his crowd. I quote from Charles Colson's book, Kingdoms in Conflict. Here's how it says how Hitler would approach a political rally. It says, solemn symphonic music began the setup. The music then stopped. A hush prevailed and a patriotic anthem began. And from the back, meaning the back of the place of gathering of the thousands, from the back, walking slowly down the wide central aisle, strutted Hitler. Finally, the Fuhrer himself rises to speak, beginning in a low, velvet voice, which makes the audience unconsciously lean forward to hear. He begins to speak of his love for Germany, and gradually his pitch increases and increases until he reaches a screaming crescendo. But his audience doesn't mind because they're all standing on their feet and they're screaming with him. I remember as a high school student and a college student, especially in our world history class, we would see black and white film footage of some of these political rallies where Adolf Hitler would do exactly this. He would start real velvet-like, real calm. But then he would raise his pitch and raise his gestures. And, and pretty soon he was yelling and screaming and the crowd was mesmerized. And he had control. Here's the difference with Hitler and the Antichrist. Hitler controlled the masses of Germany. The Antichrist will control the masses of the world. Let me show you another description, please. He will be a cunning leader. Daniel 7 and 8 says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, and a little one coming up among them. Let me pause. For you to understand the symbolism of this verse, everywhere you see the word horns, substitute the word kings. Because the word horns represent kings and leaders of the world. Okay? So see if it will help you to understand it. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns, three of the first kings, were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, or in this king, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, here's, here's what's going to happen. When the Antichrist comes on the scene during this seven and a half year of tribulation, first very subtle and then very pronounced, he's going to move into world domination by dethroning or destroying or fighting and winning against smaller nations and other people who resist him. And he's first going to come to power by dethroning or destroying or having killed three of the world leaders, maybe smaller nations. And because the fear... That will arise in people at his power. Other nations will just submit without a fight. And others will submit because he makes promises to them that seem to be to their advantage. Look at what the Bible says about his cunning. Daniel eleven twenty one. But he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. 
Everybody's still with me. Say amen. When you think about this kind of capacity, then it leads me to have you consider that he will be a cultic leader. He'll be one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Brothers and sisters, he will be so charismatic, so cunning, so cultic, until people will think he is God. He will enter into a covenant with the Jews that will cause them to have peace with the Arabs and Palestinians that they've never had. He'll be so charismatic and so smart until he'll cause the Israelis and Palestinians to exist together. They'll, the Israelis for three and a half years, the people, the Jews will think, this is the Messiah. He will allow them to build their temple. He will allow them to have animal sacrifices like the Old Testament. They'll think this is the Messiah. And then other nations of the world, other geographical hotspots, he will send in troops. He will send in wise people. And, and then they will even worship him. And he'll even think he's God. Set him up his own throne, the Bible says. Have we had other men in the past who thought they were God? Have we? Let me clarify. Anybody ever remember the man Jim Jones and Guyana? Okay, some of you remember Jim Jones. He had a following out in California years ago, years and years ago, where he got people under his mesmerizing way and said he was Christ. He took their passports and he took their social security checks. And when the government in California, the federal government in the U.S. started chasing after him, he transported all of them to the jungle of Guyana. When Representative Ryan went after to inquire about some of the family's concerns here in America concerning their family over there in Guyana, of which they have no contact, and he began to reveal and knew that he was going to reveal Jim Jones for what he was. You remember Jim Jones made Kool-Aid, had his cronies and his helpers and his assistant. They made Kool-Aid and they put poison in the Kool-Aid. You ever heard the phrase, drink the Kool-Aid? That's where it came from. And he had over 900 men, women, and children in the jungles of South America take their life under the false prophecy that he was the Messiah. If Jim Jones could do it then and Adolf Hitler could do it back then, there's still the capacity of people so full of the devil that they can convince people that they're the Christ. Yeah. You remember, you, you remember, don't you, the Hale-Bopp comet incident where, where some uh, supposedly wise man with college-age students and graduate students and computer techno-savvy people who went out to California because they thought that the Hale-Bopp comet from the sky would come so close to the earth and take them to heaven and they all killed themselves? And anybody, know, anybody remember Waco, Texas? And some, so I'm saying to you that it's not very difficult to understand why he may be a cultic leader because there have been others like him before, but he more powerful. The Bible says in Revelation 13 and 8, look on the screen, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose name have not been written in the book of life. Let me tell you this. I won't have to be tempted to worship him, okay? I won't even have to worry about that because if you are like me and I'm like you and we're all born again, we will be out of this world and that won't even be a possibility. Because we'll be worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Everybody give a Lord praise. Yeah. Okay, so let, let me show you something. And if this is not enough, he will be a cruel leader. Daniel 7, 23. And he shall devour the whole earth and trample it and break it in pieces. I'm saying to you that he will spare no one in his quest for world Domination. 
I just said that the believers, you and I, will be absent from the earth due to the rapture. But when the Antichrist's wrath reaches its pivotal point, he will persecute those who seek to follow Christ during the tribulation. In other words, I'm telling you again, it will not be easy to give your heart to Jesus Christ after the rapture. And when you do, and you identify you a Christian, he will kill you. He will do what Nero did to the early Christians by using them as human torches. Now, I'm not saying that the Antichrist will do that same kind of killing, but he will do whatever it takes. You see... His cruelty is going to be sort of like what Hitler's cruelty was to the Jews. When the Third Reich was at its height of power and its hatred of Jews, Hitler could have annihilated the Jews in a shorter time frame and a more uh, concentrated way. But he took delight in dragging it out, in torturing them. Hitler took delight in wearing down the Jews with such torture and such anguish and near starvation and horrendous manual labor until they wished to die. At one of the concentration camps empowered by Hitler and his cohorts, masses of Jews were sent there to work at that camp. And they lived at the point of near starvation, merely, barely surviving enough to work. And their work was at a factory where tons and tons of human waste and tons and tons of garbage was brought in and converted at this factory to an additive a fuel additive for the war machinery of Adolf Hitler. And these Jews, the stench of that place was atrocious and even that would make you want to die. But when they found out that they were converting human waste and garbage into fuel to help kill their other brothers and sisters, many of them lost their mind. And some of them losing their mind, wanting to run away from the camp, would be shot point blank by the guards. And any of those who made it to the fence at the outskirts of the camp, the fence was electrified and they would die electrocuted. And you think, how can one man be so hateful? But he was. And I'm here to tell you that that's what the Antichrist will do to those who resist him. He will trample and break in pieces The will of those who are against him. Let me hasten to give you just a few more thoughts. Politically. In Revelations 13 and 1, John, the revelator, gets this vision. It's about the Antichrist. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Let me explain. The second sentence, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The beast is the Antichrist. Okay, it's another name for the Antichrist. You with me? Coming up out of the sea means that this Antichrist figure will come out of the sea of the masses of humanity. 
Okay, not literally out of the ocean. But the sea of the masses of humanity. I told you earlier that the ten horns and the, the, the horns represent kings. So he will come out of this Antichrist politically will come out of the resurrected or regenerated ancient Roman Empire. According to Daniel's prophecy and the prophecy he show of the image of the beast. And I won't go into all that now. And the ten toes of the image of the beast. It's out of the union of European nations, the ancient Roman Empire, the Antichrist will come to power. He will not come to power out of American politics. We don't have that in the Bible. What we do have is that already we have the European economic community. There are already more than ten nations part of that community. But all we need is ten. We all know that... It's very likely that the euro will become the world-class currency and not the American dollar. We all know when you combine ten nations like that, it's technology, it's military, it's intellect, it's personnel. When you combine ten nations like that in Europe and all of its resources, it will be far more than any one nation America could produce. And out of that platform, out of that political scenario, out of that context, the Antichrist will rise to power. Let me show you nationally. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week means seven days. Seven days in this translation means each day representing a year. Okay? So you have seven years. Tribulation. He will gain clout and acceptance. Because he's able to establish covenants and treaties and peace treaties. With nations that... Never would be at peace in the past. In recent American history, all of our presidents have done their best to try to bring about peace between the Jews and the Arabs. We've had Reagan who tried to do it. We've had Bush Sr. who tried to do it. We've had Clinton who tried to do it. We've had Bush II, for, for comparison's sake, recent president who tried to do it. We've had... Henry Kissinger, Jimmy Carter, American presidents wanted perhaps in their governing, in their term of office, to have that little star in their crown, that little reference in their folder that says, I was that president that brought peace to the Middle East. And they've never been able to do it. But this, this, this guy will. And some people think, well, because he'll bring peace to the Middle East, he'll be Jewish. We don't know that. He doesn't have to be Jewish. Here's another thought. Spiritually. In Revelation 11, 7, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit means that at first it will not appear this way, but he comes straight out of hell with an agenda from hell. Let me show you something here. And I don't want to just belabor here, but I want to give you a little teaching. Just about for everything God has that is good and holy and righteous, the devil has a counterfeit. Everybody still with me? Say Amen. You know, God has a holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The devil has a trinity, an unholy trinity. It's the devil, the Antichrist, and the beast. The false prophet, I mean. The devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The false prophet is the second man after the command of the Antichrist. So, so just about for everything God has that's good and holy and pure, the devil has a counterfeit. God has angels. 
The devil has angels. Am I right? God has a kingdom. How many know the devil has a kingdom? Huh? God has prophets and preachers and teachers. And the devil has his own share of prophets, preachers and teachers. God has messengers and the devil has messengers. So the devil is a lying, counterfeiting devil. And, and so what happens is when this man comes on the scene, many people will think he is the God. He is the Messiah. He is the real Christ. But he will get his power from the devil. Let me tell you something. I know for some, maybe one or two you're sitting thinking, oh, I don't know about this. What, what did the preacher have for breakfast? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I had a little coffee and about four ounces of Coca-Cola. Because things go better with Coca-Cola. Okay, no, okay, this is just look. In the midst of all this horrendous stuff, I need a little break. Everybody breathe in. Everybody breathe out. Okay, because we ain't fixing to get no antichrist on us, all right? I'm just fixing to release you here. Let me tell you, I don't know, Pastor, how some people be so mean and, yeah, let me, let me show you. You listen to the news, you read the paper, you, you see how, when you think of all possible ways people could murder, rape, and assault other people, you think there could be no other way that people could come up with a new way to do it, Satan finds another way for somebody to want to get media attention by killing a few more than the last killer did. Anybody hear me? How, how many know that the power of Antichrist is in this world right now? How many know God-haters are in this world right now? How many know demons? I mean, for, for, men, to, for men and women to, to hurt little children like they do. Help me preach it. That, that, that's, God, that's from the devil hell itself. For little children to be abused. For women to be sexually assaulted. For, for perversion to take place in the realm of, of all kinds of sexual perversion. Under the guise of I'm my own free person. And if I don't hurt nobody, I'm okay. That's right out of the pit of hell. And I want to tell you, my friends, that's where this man who will be the animal. Christ will get his power. Somebody thinking, I want to take my chance. Well, I'm telling you, I hope you change your mind. And I'm here to try to help you continue to change your mind. Let me, let me move. Providentially. Revelation 13, 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. You know, it might look like, by what we read, and by those who will be present then, that God is absent from the scene during this time. Where is God in all this? All this judgment and hate. Because during the tribulation period, perhaps I'll preach about it later, there'll be the judgments of God in Revelations that we read about. The bold judgment, the trumpet judgment, the vile judgments. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and violence. The sun shall melt and the, and the seas shall be, a portion of the seas will be contaminated. Water will be contaminated. Terrorism will be abundant. Nuclear, potential nuclear disaster will, will always be on the horizon. And somebody's thinking, where is God in all this? Let me tell you something. Though the Antichrist gets his power from Satan, God's still in control. The Antichrist is going to be on a long leash. And at the end of the leash, it's going to be God. But God's going to let him have that dominion for a period of time because God has warned this world since Calvary for 2,009 years. God has warned people before us and I'm here as a voice representing now the word of God and I'm here as a warning and God's saying I give you time and time and time but you rejected God, you cursed the Bible, you cursed Christ, you, dis- you, you desecrated holy things, people of all the world and even Israel who rejected the true Messiah 2,009 years ago. God is saying because you did this and I warned you I am going to let the Antichrist have his dominion for a period but I'm going to reel him in. Help me somebody. You remember what the Lord allowed Satan to do with Job? 
You, you remember Job in the Bible? Everybody know what I'm talking about? You remember Satan said to, to the God one day, Job's only serving you because you bless him. It's like some modern-day Christians in America. They're only going to serve God if they can get money in the bank and health in their body and have all their bills paid. And, and yeah, they're only, Some people are only interested in going to church if it's me, me, me. They don't, they don't want none of these trials and these hardships and all the... You know, but life is mixed up with both of those, friends. Okay? But God is still overcomer over all the hardships we, we have in our lives. If we trust God, He gives us power over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil said to God... You, you, you let me have that job a little while. I'll show you he ain't serving you because he loves you. He's just serving you because he wants your stuff. And God says, I beg your pardon. Go ahead and have at him. Except don't take his life. You remember how happened to Job? He lost his, his family. His wife stayed with him, but she told him to curse God and die because she got discouraged. Huh? He lost his children. He lost his property. He lost his, his harvest. He lost his silos. He lost everything. He even lost his health. His body became so full of sores and boils and sick. His body stank so bad until people didn't even want to get near him. And, and, and then his own wife says, look at you, man. Just give up. But God proved himself true when Job said, I came naked in the world, and I'm headed out the same way. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then God reeled in Satan. Okay, you're finished with Job, Satan. And when God got finished with Job, he had double for his trouble. Double property, double animals, double wealth. Because God has a fine, he's in control. So, let me wrap it up with this. I want you to understand that the Bible says, Revelations 13, 2 and 3. Now I saw the beast, that's Satan, that's the Antichrist, pardon me, the Antichrist. I saw him like a leopard. His feet was like the feet of a bear. That represents kingdoms and powers. His mouth are like the mouth of a lion. It represents his kind of power and kingdom. The dragon gave him power. The dragon is the devil. The devil gave the, the Antichrist power, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, somewhere in the course of the three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation, he's going to be assassinated. Whether it's going to be staged or real, I'm not sure. We tend to think it's going to be real. Remember I told you when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, people thought he would come back to life as the Antichrist. He's supposed to, but he didn't because he wasn't. And when he comes back on the scene after that three and a half years, he's going to appear to be dead for a day, maybe two days, maybe three days. Come back on the scene. And folks, oh my God. He is the Messiah. He is God. He is going to go to the temple of the Jews and offer animals unfit to be offered to God to mock the Jews because they won't worship him. It's called the abomination of desolation. And the Jews are going to realize he is not one of us. Or he would not have defiled our holy temple and defiled our God. And he's going to start to kill them by the masses. And anybody else who resists him. He's, first three and a half years, pliable. Join me if you will. The last three and a half years, he's going to have the mark. The mark, everybody's going to take the mark. It doesn't necessarily mean a tattoo. It means a, a mark of a chip, computer chip, under the skin of your hand. 
or under the skin of your forehead. And what it'll do, you say, he'll tell you, and it probably will, eliminate crime. Because people get attacked and vandalized for cash that they have. You want to carry a credit card, a purse, a billfold, and other kinds of ways. You just let them scan under you. How many know the technology is already there? I, I know. This is not something I'm making up. People have their animals implanted with a chip implanted. So they there are even patients who are implanted because they have such epileptic, unexpected seizures. Family's not there and a paramedic come on the scene. And Brian's a paramedic, also our head sound guy. If they had the right tool and they could just scan that, they'll know we better not give that patient this medicine. No, we better, because we could kill him. The technology's already there. And anybody who refuses the mark. See, you can't buy groceries unless you have it, meaning the chip. You can't bank unless you have it. You can't trade or sell or, you can't really exist unless you go hide in a hole in the hills. And the pressure of the world will be such until you'll be the man. And so, I close by telling you that I don't know if that person is alive today. Could be. That person could be a child now or that person could be an adult. But I'm not here looking for the Antichrist. I'm here looking for the Christ. Yeah, come on. Help me out here. Come on, everybody. Looking for the Christ. Let me show you something. I just want to enjoy this for a moment. It won't take me but just a short while. Here. Here, Here's a here's a acrostic using the alphabet ABCD as it compares looking at the Antichrist and what he means and compares looking at Christ and what it means. I found this in my study. I like it. I got to give it to you. Listen to this. The letter A. We abhor the Antichrist. We adore the Christ. We blame the Antichrist. We believe in the Christ. We curse the Antichrist. We confess the Christ. Say amen. We despise the Antichrist, but we desire the Christ. We explain the Antichrist. We exalt the Christ. We fear the Antichrist, but we fellowship with the Christ. We glare at the Antichrist, but we gaze at Christ. We hate the Antichrist, but we honor the Christ. We investigate the Antichrist, but we insist on Christ. We judge the Antichrist, but we are judged by Christ. We know about the Antichrist, but we know the Christ. Somebody say amen. We love the Antichrist, but we love the Christ. I feel it coming on, but I got more alphabet to go. We minimize the Antichrist, but we magnify the Christ. We nullify the Antichrist, but we need the Christ. We oppose the Antichrist, but we obey the Christ. We put down the Antichrist, but we praise the Christ. We question the Antichrist, but we quote the Christ. We reject the Antichrist, but we reverence the Christ. Somebody say, praise the Lord. We survey the Antichrist, but we serve the Christ. We test the Antichrist, but we trust the Christ. We unmask the Antichrist, but we uplift the Christ. We vilify the Antichrist, but we verify the Christ. 
We warn against the Antichrist, but we worship the Christ. We yawn at the Antichrist, but we yearn for the Christ. I like this one best. We zone out the Antichrist, but we zero in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up to your feet, everybody, and give the Christ His view. Put your hands together. Oh, come on, come on. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Yes! 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you notice I didn't have anything for the letter X? I'm going to make it up. We X out the Antichrist and we experience, experience Christ. Oh, soon and very soon. <laughs> I don't want you to take a chance on me left behind. Bow your heads. Don't want you to take a chance. Not when God's so good and the anointing is so real and salvation is free. I don't want you to take a chance. I wish you would, in the next few moments, don't care what anybody thinks about you except God. I wish as you bow your head, close your eyes, you don't give a, a hoot about what anybody thinks about you except what God thinks about you. Because in the end, His opinion counts the most. It gets you heaven or you deny yourself. Heads about an obstacle, Pastor Allen. I have heard the word of God. And while I don't understand everything about it, Pastor, I know that Jesus is real. And I believe that he's coming again. And Pastor, I don't want to be left behind. Pastor, if the rapture takes place today, I've done some things and behaved in some ways that I fear I won't go into rapture. And if the rapture doesn't take place today, Pastor, and I die... Sometime in the future before Jesus comes and I keep living like I am, I'm not going to heaven either. And I don't want to live under the rule of the Antichrist. And I don't want to live in a day and age where people will hate God worse than they hate Him now and want to kill me for loving Him. I'd rather serve Him right now and be changed. If you used to serve Him and you need to come back to be ready to go, If you've never given your heart to Jesus, in the next few seconds, I am going to give you an invitation on behalf of the Father in heaven. Pastor, I need to be born again. I need to come back to the Lord. And I don't care what anybody thinks about me but Jesus. I want to be saved or rededicate my life. Hold up your hand because you want to indicate your desire to be saved. Lift it up. Come on. Yeah, I see hands. Hold it up. Just me. I'm the only audience here looking right now. Hold it up. I want to be sure. I'm not going to make you say anything out loud or put a camera on you. I just want I just want you to identify. I see it. I see Lord. Hold it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, hallelujah. Eight, nine, ten. Hold it up. Hold it up. Eleven of you. Twelve, thirteen, four. That's probably about twenty of you. Put it down. Put your hands down now. Heads about and eyes are closed. Christians already saved, I want you to help me pray with these people in a moment by saying the sinner's prayer with them. I want everybody to say it out loud because I want those who are saying it for the first time or haven't said it in a while need to say it again and mean it. I want them to be encouraged. Now listen to me. Head bowed and eyes closed. Don't just say it because I ask you to. Say it and mean it because there's power in the confession of your word. Amen? Everybody out loud say after me, Lord Jesus, thank you for another chance. I could have already been gone and headed to hell. But thank you for your grace. And today, I confess, I am a sinner. 
I cannot save myself. I cannot earn salvation. And since salvation is not for sale, I can't buy it. But it's a free gift. And by faith, I receive it. Jesus, I confess that you are the Son of God. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you died for my sins. Come into my heart. Wash away all my sins. Empty me of everything that is unlike you. And fill me with everything that is like you. Beginning today, I will serve you. Give me a love for your word. And a love for your house. And a love for your people. I pray that in the Savior's name. Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, come on and thank the Lord with me. Everybody. Do what the angels are doing and rejoice. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Oh, my, 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 my. Not only those of you already are more than ready than you are, but others are joining us now. And the devil is having a fit, but that's my job to make him mad. Thank God for salvation. Now, before I receive the offering, I want you to be seated, if you will. And they're going to sing and minister a a word and song. But listen, now respond with me to the word this morning. How many of this kind of gospel needs to go everywhere it can? Say amen. And so I want you to join me on this last day of the month with your tithes and offerings. You have prepared them. God has blessed you. I want you to sow something because everybody ought to know who Jesus is. Let, Let me tell you something else too. Please listen. You know, if I were to go before some of you, and that might be the case... The gospel needs to continue here. You know, if some of you would go before the rest of us, and that might be the case, there needs to always be a church, always be a preacher, always be a message. And when you sow into the kingdom, not only here, but around the world, come ushers, bow your heads as they come. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege to present a portion of our income called the tithe and the offering. It's sowing seed into good ground. And is sowing seed into our lives. And we respond to what we heard today by saying to you, thank you for saving us. And thank you for giving us another chance. And God, at the same time, I thank you that you're meeting our needs and our bills are going to be paid because we put you first. Say amen. We're going to have jobs. We're going to be in good health. And no weapon of Satan will prosper against us because we are obeying the Lord with our tithes and offerings as well as other areas of obedience. In Christ's name, amen. Worship as you give.